I want to welcome all of you as we uh, come together this morning. I know this isn't the proper way to use this, but uh, I'll get it attached here in a minute. Uh, so we do want to welcome you as we uh, gather together today to uh, praise God and to worship Him, to dig into His Word, and just to, to fellowship as the body of Christ. Uh, whether you're here in person or online, we, uh, we thank you for taking the time to join us, and we pray that, that God would minister to your heart. Uh, as we look at our announcements this week, uh, the Tuesday and Wednesday group will be as normal. Uh, there will be no Saturday group this week uh, because of the great banquet weekend that's coming up. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, we want to keep those weekends in our prayers. Uh, other than that, I think everything's pretty much as normal. So with that, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Our gracious and loving Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day and this opportunity to come into your presence. Uh, we pray that you would minister to our hearts as we gather together uh, and that you would just uh, remind us, encourage us, uh, comfort us, challenge us. Uh, whatever it is that we might need today as we gather, uh, we just ask, Father, that you would uh, that you would minister to us and meet us at our point of need. Uh, Father, we, we thank you for the upcoming Great Banquet Weekends. We just ask for your anointing upon those even as we pray for your anointing upon today's service, that you would just reveal yourself and that you would uh, perhaps answer some of the questions that might be lingering in our hearts as we think about the, the struggles that we deal with in our faith yet today. So we bless you, and we just invite you to come and make yourself known as we come in Jesus' name, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. All right. I've had this song come up a couple times in the past few weeks, so I thought I would share it again today. Uh, reading from Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. We open this morning um, with His mercy is more. Would you please stand and join me as we celebrate the mercy that He has for us? Thank you. 
trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the crowd or in those who, who worship idols. O oh Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. We uh, learned this song last week, so we're going to just continue to kind of get it in our in our brains. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. If I could say it, I could sing it. <laughs> what gives a grace is Jesus my redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. I can see I am free. 
chapter 13, verses 24 through verse 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the, your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds, and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest garden plants and becomes a tree. So let the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told him still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using parables. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came and said to him, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest 
is in the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels, and the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire. So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word, and may God bless Pastor Dan's message. I think I've uh, shared this illustration before, but it uh, fits really well. Uh, years ago, Amanda and I were doing some premarital counseling. We, uh, we started doing it jointly. I don't remember how many years ago we did that, but uh, we were uh, meeting with this couple. They weren't part of either of the churches I served. It was kind of special circumstances. And, and this couple, they, they came for uh, counseling. And uh, premarital counseling turned as much into Christian counseling as it was premarital. Uh, they were both engaged, not only to one another, but both of them were engaged in the life of a world church. And, and he was really struggling uh, with what he saw in the church. And, and I remember him uh, sitting across from uh, my desk, and, and he made the comment, and it was just kind of out of the blue, and he says, I see what these people pretend to be on Sunday, but I also see what they are during the week. And he was just really struggling with what he perceived as hypocrisy in the church. And it was kind of one of those moments that... Uh, uh, I'll say it was a, a counseling highlight. It was like God downloaded just what I needed in that moment. And he called to mind this parable of the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares, depending on your translation. And so I said to him, because him and his wife, they were both farmers, and I said to him, I said, tell me something. I said, when you look out over your crops, what stands out to you? Is it the crops or is it the weeds? He says, well, the weeds. And I said, isn't it interesting that you could have acres and acres and acres of good crop, but the thing that stands out is the weeds that don't belong there. I said, the same is true in the church. I said, what stands out to you is the hypocrites in the church, but that doesn't mean that the real deal's not there. It doesn't mean that the, they're not present, right? But what stands out, what catches your attention is what doesn't belong. And, and so uh, I kind of shared with him, let's see, I hope we're working today. <laughs> Do a dance. Yep, so there we go, right? Uh, just because there are weeds in the crop, it doesn't undermine the crop as the real deal, right? And his entire demeanor changed. It gave him a whole different way of looking at what he was seeing in the church. Now, a few years ago, we spent the year delving into apologetics, which is basically defense of the faith. And I sought that year to deal with some of the hard questions and the difficult passages of Scripture. And at that time, uh, I also had some, uh, we'll say, witnessing opportunities to a self-avowed atheist uh, down from Panera. And so I asked her, I said, what's your biggest obstacle to believing in God? And she didn't say evolution or science or evil or suffering. She said hypocrisy in the church. And, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting to me, uh, the world denounces hypocrisy, but it seems to forget, so did Jesus. You do know that, right? Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you, in fact, we have a whole series, we haven't got there yet in our Chronological Life of Christ series, but we'll get there. A whole series of woe to you hypocrites. The world denounces hypocrisy, and rightfully so, but so did Jesus. 
Now, is it true that there are hypocrites in the church? Absolutely. Just as it's true that there are hypocrites in politics, in medicine, in science, in law, in government, hypocrites among atheists. It doesn't matter what field you choose. You're going to find hypocrites there. I'm going to stay out of the last few years, right? <laughs> right? You see hypocrites across all of these fields. It's not an argument about God. It's about the nature of man. So I have with me today, I, I brought with me, you must see, a little visual illustration. So I brought with me this $20 bill. Now this is legitimate uh, government-issued $20 bill. Now how many people would like to have a $20 bill? Sure. Hypothetically speaking. Right? <laughs> how many would like to have well, it's going to be real speaking. Yeah. Now, I also have with me these little slips of paper that have 20 written in the corners, right? This is uh, my version of counterfeit that uh, can't be confused so I don't get in trouble, right? And I don't want to be accused of being hypocritical. Now, if I were to take this $20 bill and I were to mix it in with, say, these other $20 bills, does it change the value of that 20 Would you Would you not want this 20 just because there are fake 20s? That's the same argument with hypocrisy in the church. It's a ridiculous argument. For people to say, I don't believe in God because there are hypocrites in the church. What about the real deals? This doesn't have anything to do with the value of this. And yet that's the argument that people bring. Uh, and, and that's the argument that the wheat and the tares are going to deal with, right? Now, in the wheat and tares, let me tell you, the weeds look a lot more like the real deal. But it doesn't make them the real deal. There's a lot of counterfeit that looks a lot closer than this. Hypocrisy in the church doesn't make all Christians hypocrites. Nor is it a logical or viable argument against God. And when you think about hypocrisy in the church, it says nothing of the reality of God, but it does speak to the nature of man. It does speak to the nature of people. Now, as you look at the world around you, people wrestle with things like, you know, if God is good and powerful, then why is there evil and suffering? Uh, why does God delay in doing something about it? I mean, have you ever looked at it and it's like, you know what, I know Jesus is coming back, but why is he waiting? You ever feel that way? You look at the mess our world is in, our nation's in, and you think of all the nonsense going on around us, it's like, why are you waiting? Most of us have been there. Why is God delayed? Uh, what about, you know, as we think about historically, all the evil that's been done in the name of Jesus? Because there's been evil done in his name. Now, Augustine put it this way. He says, we are never to judge a philosophy by its abuse. We are never to judge a philosophy by its abuse. If I misuse, if I misinterpret, if I misapply the teachings of Jesus, guess where the problem is? Right here. It's not a problem with Jesus. It's a problem with me. Now, as it turns out, Jesus addresses these kinds of questions in a series of parables as he teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. Why is God waiting? Why the evil? Why the suffering? Why the hypocrisy? Why the corruption? Jesus deals with all these matters in the parables for today. So last week, you might remember, uh, we examined the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. And in that parable, Jesus taught us that God's word will encounter hard hearts, uh, will encounter competing pressures, uh, and God's word will fail to take root in many people's lives. But it will be fruitful in those with ears to hear, right? The parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God, the word of the kingdom, and it will bear fruit in those who have ears to hear. As we pick up today, 
what we're going to learn is that even though many will not be open to God's word, from last week's parable, and that there's going to be adversity to the kingdom of God is real, and that, that evil exists, what we're going to see as we look at the parables today is, despite all this adversity and all this hard soil and all these competing pressures and all the evil, God's kingdom is still going to grow. Despite whatever might come against it, God's kingdom is going to grow, and it's going to do so gradually over time until we get to the end of the age when the wicked will be judged and the righteous rewarded. But for now, things are not always what they appear. Small beginnings can have big results, right? Uh, so don't be deceived by appearances because the kingdom will grow and it will come to its fullness when everything will be made right. But that still leaves us with the question of why the delay? Why not just why not today? Why the delay? Well, for that, let's dive in. So Jesus first assures us that there's going to be gradual but guaranteed growth of the kingdom. Uh, now, for those of you who have been with us for a while, which is, you know, pretty much most of you, right? Uh, we've been going through a chronological life of Christ series. So as we think about the chronological life of Jesus, we, we looked at the parable of the sower next week, or last week, which Matthew follows with the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Mark inserts another little parable in between the sower and the mustard seed and the leaven. So we're going to start with Mark's little parable, which wasn't long enough for a sermon. Right? So we're, we're spending most of our time in Matthew, but we got to deal with that little parable in Mark because, you know, I know none of you would have been happy if you came to church and the message was five minutes and I sent you home, right? <laughs> we want to make it worth your while. So, so we're going to insert Mark's little parable in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, he at once puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So this is the little parable in Mark between the sower and the mustard seed and the leaven. Now, kind of as a way to illustrate what's going on in Mark. Have you ever uh, watched a movie trailer? Have you ever watched a trailer before you see the movie? You ever, you ever watch a movie trailer and you thought, this looks like a really good movie. And then you go and watch the movie and you realize all the good parts were in the trailer. Yeah. You ever had that happen? <laughs> Isn't that disappointing? Yeah. Isn't that disappointing when it happens? Uh, or you've gone to a place and there's all this hype and all this advertisement and you get there and think, well, this is it. So, so back in the late 1990s, Amanda and I went to a, a, it was a church cluster picnic in McLean Livingston County, and uh, we invited Dave and Tim to come with us. We'd received this flyer in the mail advertising volleyball and various games and all these sports and fun activities for old and young. I know it's going to be hard to believe, but back in those days, we were young. <laughs> So things like volleyball were appealing back in those days, right? We were young back in those days. And so we go to this cluster picnic, and we arrived to discover nothing set up. Nobody seemed to know anything that was going on, and there was nobody there our age. So we had to set up some of the stuff on our own, which was fine, and we played on our own, which we could have done without going to the church cluster picnic, right? So it wasn't quite as we expected. It wasn't quite as it was advertised. Perhaps by now you've come to the point of realizing life doesn't always go as you expect, nor do things always happen in the time we expect it to happen in. What Jesus taught 
here is one of those concealed mysteries of the Old Testament that's revealed in the New Testament. You see, what the Jews expected is that when the kingdom of God came, it was going to come with power, it was going to come suddenly, it was going to come to crush evil, it was all going to happen quickly. Right? The evil and the right, uh, righteous would be separated. Evil's going to be vanquished and the righteous are going to flourish. They expected it to come quickly. What they did not expect was to find humble beginnings. Oh, let's put this volleyball net and set it up. It's here, right? Let's set it. What they did not expect was that the Messiah would come humbly as a suffering servant rather than a conquering king. What they did not expect was a kingdom that would come and grow gradually as opposed to something that would come, let's say, cataclysmically. That sounds kind of revelationary, right? Uh, so France writes, and I quote, uh, Jesus announced God's kingdom, and this would lead many of us hearers to expect a cataclysmic disruption of society, an immediate and absolute division between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. It was this impatience that the parable was primarily directed. They expected everything to happen suddenly, not gradually. So in contrast to what they expected, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this seed. And notice what Mark says, it sprouts and it grows. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and then the harvest. We're going to get to the harvest, but it's not going to be sudden. Any of you farmers testify to that? Right? We're going to get to the harvest, but it's not going to be sudden. And what Mark tells us in the parable is as people do what they routinely do, he says as they sleep and rise night and day, the kingdom is going to be growing. It's going to happen gradually over time and in stages. The blade, the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Now he says in that parable of Mark, he says this little phrase, the farmer does not know how. And it shows us that God is going to grow his kingdom and not man. Right? Even though God might use man to help grow his kingdom. Right? So God might use us in growing his kingdom, but the growth of the kingdom is not dependent on us. The kingdom takes root, and its growth is assured over time. And as Mark goes on, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle because the harvest has come. So Mark's parable, what began merely as a seed, humble beginnings, is going to mature over time. But what about the meantime? Right? Why the delay? So we jump then from the parable unique to Mark to a parable that's unique to Matthew with the parable of the weeds. And then we're going to have the twin parables, the mustard seed and the leaven. Mark includes the mustard seed, but not the leaven. Luke includes the mustard seed and the leaven, but he puts it in a different context. Remember, all the, as we think about the Gospels, they're not all necessarily written in chronological order, right? Luke puts them in a different context than what Matthew does, uh, which I'll point out in, in a moment. Now, Bloomberg writes, and I quote, The unifying theme that comes through these three parables is the very encouraging promise of first their survival, right? Because there's a lot that stands against the growth of the seed. First their survival, and then the growth of the seeds that are planted with very unpromising beginnings. Remember, we have a humble start. And it goes on. Despite obstacles that might appear to threaten the entire destruction of the crop, Remember last week, we have the hard soil, we have the, uh, we have the rocky soil, we have the thorny soil. Think about opposition to Jesus. Think about the crucifixion. Think about how the small movement with this ragtag group of disciples uh, and everything that stands opposed to it, right? 
think about the infiltration and the corruption that comes within the, within the church, right? Despite all these obstacles, he says, these plants will produce the harvest eventually. So as the parable of Mark indicates, growth is going to occur over time. But what about this meantime? That's what the parable of the weeds comes in. And it indicates this time, in this time of meantime, God permits the evil and the righteous to exist alongside one another. So verses 24 through 26. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So like the parable of the sower last week, uh, Jesus gives us the explanation of this parable in verses 36 through 43. I'm like, hey, you know, Jesus made some really nice. You know, the best, the best explanation of one of Jesus' parables is Jesus' explanation of one of Jesus' parables. As you look at this parable, as you look at the explanation, it addresses the problem of evil. It explains hypocrisy. It explains corruption. It explains unbelievers and the church, as well as why God delays in judgment. Even though judgment is certain in the end, it, it gives us the answer as to why. Why the delay? So the man who here sows the seed is the son of man. In the parable of the sower, uh, the sower could be God, could be Jesus, could be preachers and everybody who comes afterwards. Right Here we see uh, it's designated as the son of man in verse 37. The field is the world, verse 38. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, verse 38. So in the parable of the sower, the seed was what? The word of God, the word of the kingdom. In this parable, he changes it just a little bit. Now the seed's no longer the word of God. Here he describes the seed as the sons of the kingdom. So here, uh, it, the parable is the product of the word received, the word understood, the word obeyed. In other words, it's the product of those who have ears to hear. Remember last week, that was those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Here we see the product, the fruit and good, the, the seed and good soil, those who have ears to hear. The, the sons of the kingdom. So last week, seed was the word. This week, the seed is the sons of the kingdom. Now, just to kind of give myself a covering here, we can include sons and daughters. Okay? He uses son's language because that's the language of inheritance. It's the language of inheritance, right? So when I say sons, you can, you can put in sons and daughters if you like. So notice that the kingdom is not marked by geographical boundaries, but by those who have ears to hear, those who receive the word and obey the word. Now, Guzik points out that when Jesus describes the field as the world, it points out that the mission goes beyond Israel and is a reminder that as long as the church is in the world, there's going to be unbelievers in the midst of the church, the church existing in the field of the world, right? We have the wheat and the weeds or the tares, depending on your translation, growing together. Uh, secondly, I, I, just, I just want to kind of point out as well that when you think about metaphors, a metaphor can be used differently in different contexts. Okay? So, for instance, the seed in the parable from last week was the word of God. The seed in the parable this week is the sons of the kingdom. How do we know that? Because Jesus told us so. And we have ears to hear, right? So we'll give another illustration. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But we also have the devil prowls around like a roaring 
right? So a metaphor is, can be used in different contexts in different ways, right? You have to determine it by the, the context. Now in this parable, his enemy is the devil, verse 39, who sowed weeds, which he says are the sons of the evil one. So we have sons of the kingdom, but we have sons of the evil one. Now sowing weeds among the wheat was a rare form of revenge, but it was a form of revenge. In fact, the Romans had laws against it. So it might have been rare, but it wasn't unheard of in their day of somebody going and sowing weeds in the midst of the wheat. And this particular weed or tear was likely darnel, which was a kind of poisonous weed that resembles wheat, both uh, uh, wheat until they reach maturity, right? So when they were young, you can't tell the difference until they grow up and reach maturity. So it's not until maturity that you can kind of discern one from the other. Hmm, can this be part of the reason we're waiting to pull it, right? Which is why uh, as the plants come up, it's then when it becomes apparent that there's weeds amongst them also. Now, when Jesus says that uh, sons of the kingdom or sons of the evil one, uh, don't think of biological offspring, right? He's talking about those who have a character consistent with. So sons of the kingdom would be those with a character consistent with the kingdom. Sons of the evil one, a character consistent with, you get the point, right? It says, if we have ears to hear, if we're taking God's truth to heart, then that truth is going to begin shaping and transforming how we live so that we have a character consistent with the kingdom. Now, the weeds and the weeds are indistinguishable at first, but they're revealed over time. The servants, when they discover this, we'll say, hypocrisy, this corruption, this evil, when they discover it, they're all too ready to deal with the weeds, right? But the master says, wait. Now, that's kind of a four-letter word for many of us, isn't it? W-A-I. Yes, it is a four-letter word. That is a word that we don't like a whole lot. We are not, I, well, I'll talk about, we are, I am not a patient person. I'm guessing I'm not the only one here, right? Wait is not a word that we, we like to hear. So we see God's delay. He says, wait, but why? Because our instinct is to take care of the weeds right away, isn't it? We want to deal with it. We want to deal with it now. We want God to act, and we want God to act now. But we have to trust that God has his reasons for delay. One of the odd jobs that I did uh, when I was in high school was walk beans. Any of you walk beans? Oh, yeah. A few of you walk beans, right? Uh, now, if you walk beans, then you know there's two different kinds of fields, right? There's the fields that they plant in the rows where you have a nice row you can walk in, and there's the uh, fields that they drill. And, you know... Who said anything about rows, right? So you have you have rows and you have drill beans. And uh, I had one guy that I walked for. You know, of course, he's using all the chemicals and all these things, weed control and stuff. And, and basically, when you walked weeds for him, you got your bean hook and you walked down these rows. And it was basically clean fields. And then every once in a while, oh, here's a weed, here's a weed. Right? Very, pretty clean most of the time. And then there was another guy. Uh, he called us up at the end of the season when the beans were like this high in a drilled field. And he's like, I need you to go take care of some of these weeds. Because out in the middle of his field was horse weed that was taller than me. Now, I know that's not saying a whole lot taller than me, but that's pretty big weed, right? And, and, and it's the size of a weed that's not going to, the combine's not going to like it a whole lot. So, so we go out later in the year, beans are that high, and we're going out uh, to take care of this horse weed. 
And, and this, the vines of the beans are literally tearing up my jeans and even my shoes, right? Because we're, we're plowing through these crops and there's no road to walk in, right? And I remember having the thought, we're destroying more crop than weeds we're going to be taking out of. I remember having that thought. I'm like, why? We're, we're killing more beans getting to the weeds than the weeds we're going to be taking out of the field. Of course, we needed to do it for the machinery. But look at verses 28 and 29. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them, right? Because this is our instinct. Let's take care of the problem. Let's take care of it here. Let's take care of it now. But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. He says, we're waiting because we don't want to accidentally pull the wheat. Now, by the time they could tell the difference, the roots are already intertwined. And the unspoken assumption is the wheat's still going to survive, the wheat's still going to grow, despite the darnel or the weeds being there. But if we pull the darnel too soon, we're also going to be pulling up and damaging some of the wheat. So we're going to wait until the harvest. Now, if you want another scripture that kind of gives us a picture of the reason for the delay in waiting till the harvest, it's illustrated in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He says the harvest is coming. This sudden cataclysmic event will, sudden, will come here eventually. But until then, there's this opportunity to move from a son of the evil one to become a son of the kingdom. We're in this time of grace when the weed can still become part of the weeds, part of the weeds. That for, that's just terrible language, isn't it? Part of the wheat, right? So Jesus is telling us there's two different paths, two different destinies, and until the harvest comes, there's an opportunity to change your path and thus your destiny for those with ears to hear, which is how he ends this parable as well. For those with ears to hear, let them hear. Now between the parable and its explanation... Jesus gives us twin parables with no explanation. That would be the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. Uh, so he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. So we have... Between the parable and the explanation, these two little parables, Jesus does not give us an explanation for these two little parables. You know what that means? I mean, scholars differ on how to interpret them. Wouldn't it be nice that Jesus just gave us all the answers? Jesus, give me. Where's, where's the answer book at the end of the book, right? So, so scholars differ on their interpretation of the mustard seed and the leaven, and in fact, they differ very differently with the trends. So there are some who see the birds and the leaven as the presence of evil in the kingdom. Right? Kingdom's growing gradually, fields the world. We have the presence of evil within that, that growing kingdom. So the birds and the sower represented the evil one from last week. 
And leaven is often represented in scripture as evil and sin. And so that's kind of the track that they take. And in this view, the kingdom is going to grow. But while, the, while in this world, there's going to continue to be corruption and unbelievers, uh, not only in the field, but within the church, because the church is within the field, within the world. So the mustard seed in this view grows unusually large, and it allows corruption to find a place in its branches and shade. So that's one view, right? Mustard seed's growing big. It's big enough that corruption can kind of seep in. And they take the same view with the leaven. The leaven is hidden in the flour to a great extent. And, you know, it's kind of an argument that fits well with reality. I mean, we look at the institutional church. You see evil, corruption, hypocrisy, of course, right? We see the influence of that that kind of infiltrates within. Uh, and it also fits with the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The other view focuses on the growth of the kingdom of heaven from small beginnings, like the mustard seed that becomes a large plant or tree, and like the leaven that permeates the whole. And so in this view, and I'm, I'm kind of giving you both views because they're both out there, the mustard seed is one-tenth of an inch in diameter, but it grows 8 to 12 feet tall. Pretty impressive, right? Now, it's not technically the smallest seed. You know, if anybody comes, well, Jesus didn't know what he's talking about. The mustard seed's not the smallest seed. The orchid seed is. Uh, the mustard seed was the smallest seed planted here, okay? So it may not be world, but it's the smallest seed that they would have been familiar with, planted here, and it was probably uh, within view that they could see a mustard tree, right? So there's a reason. It's, so the, the idea, and it became a proverb with small beginnings growing up to, to this big plant. So they would look at this in, in view of Jesus' listeners, and there was like, the kingdom, despite its humble beginnings, will grow to such an extent as to be able to give refuge and rest to all the nations. Now, if you go back to Ezekiel uh, 37, or is it 27? Is it 27? If you go back to Ezekiel 27, you have this picture of a tree and the birds coming and nesting in its shade, finding refuge and rest in its shade. And those birds are reflective of the Gentile nations, right? So in the parable of the sower, we see where the bird represents evil. In Ezekiel, we see where the birds are pictured as the Gentile nations coming to find rest and refuge in the shade of God's tree, or in the shade of God's kingdom. So they would look at, based off Old Testament imagery, the picture of the mustard seed growing to this plant and the birds coming, a picture of small beginnings growing into this kingdom with the Gentiles coming and finding refuge and rest in the coming kingdom. Likewise with the leaven, once the process starts, once the kingdom has come in Jesus, it can't be stopped until it permeates the whole. And part of their argument would be is, if the leaven represents evil here, it kind of looks like it's evil that's, that's going to win, right? Because it eventually leavens the whole. So they look at it from this different angle. Uh, so in this view, despite how things may appear initially, Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom as a suffering servant and would die on the cross. The kingdom still one day will come in its fullness. He's going to return as conquering king. Uh, so this argument looks at the field being the world and not the church, right? So they're looking at a bigger picture than just the church. Uh, looks at the Old Testament imagery in Ezekiel with the birds and the nations. And the fact that leaven, while it's often used as evil, it's not always used as evil. So in Leviticus, you have an example where leaven was included in one of the offerings. So both sides appeal to Scripture to make their arguments. Both sides make some pretty good arguments. So I'm just giving you both the arguments.
You'll have to pick and choose which one you like, right? Both of them, the way that they're argued, fit with what we understand as biblical truth in other ways, right? So while they may have different views of the parables, both views can be supported with what we see from other scriptures. Uh, what we do see is the kingdom is going to grow despite the forces aligned against it and any weeds within until the day comes when the evil are judged and the righteous are rewarded. Either way, we're getting to the same conclusion, right? A day of the harvest when evil are judged and the righteous rewarded. So don't let appearances deceive you. The kingdom's going to grow. And though at times it might appear hidden, God remains at work. So judgment might be delayed in this time that we're in, but it is certain. So verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now I'll give you, gather the wheat into my barn is not quite as picturesque as in my father's house or many rooms and I go and prepare a place for you, right? Or the King James, uh, my father's mansion, right? It's not quite as picturesque as that, but it's the same idea, right? Gathering the wheat into his barn. Better the barn than the furnace, okay? So the harvest is the end of the age. How do we know that? Because that's what Jesus says in the explanation. The reapers are the angels. That's what he says in the explanation who will gather all causes of sin and lawbreakers or evil, I think it was evil that David's translation had, to be thrown into the fire, fire being a picture of divine judgment, while the righteous will shine in the kingdom. So we're getting to this point where, hey, this is certain it's going to come one day, but we're in this time where they're dwelling together. So at the time of harvest, the weeds will be gathered for judgment and the wheat for salvation. There'll be no weeds in the barn and there's no wheat in the fire. Right? That's the purpose of the delay. All those who are going to be saved are going to be saved. All those who aren't, aren't. Right? There's no, going to be no weeds in the barn, no weed in the fire, because the Son of Man will send his angels to divide the two. And like last week, Jesus concludes with verse 43, where he says, He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom began humbly through one who first came to suffer and die, but who rose from the grave. This kingdom is now gradually growing as God works through those who follow him. And this time of delay where the evil and righteous exist together is to provide opportunity so that those among the weeds might become the sons of the kingdom for those with ears to hear, those who will receive the word of truth. For now, there's going to be times that the kingdom might appear to be hidden, but that doesn't mean that God's not at work. It might appear that the odds seem against it, such as the small seed against all the elements, but its growth is guaranteed. And the day of harvest will eventually come. So he who has ears, let him hear, that you might be transformed by his word, that you might find refuge and rest in him as a son or daughter of his kingdom. Right? So why the delay? The delay is so that more people can be saved. More people can come to faith. You know, we want things to happen, and we want it to happen now. But most of us can look at examples of, of people like, you know, they weren't a believer, now they're a believer. Jesus doesn't want any of those to end up as part of the weeds, right? Why the delay? Because it's all about God's timing. The harvest is coming, and we need to be ready for the harvest. Until then, let's keep sowing some seeds, right? Let's keep sowing some seeds. 
and hopefully those seeds will fall on ears to, that will be willing to hear. Amen. In your bulletin, you have a communication card, and we invite you to uh, think about how God might be speaking to your heart this morning, uh, and then to invite those next steps up as, as part of your worship. Uh, you know, as I was uh, 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 reading through the, the verses and thinking about the verses and, and working out through this week, uh, one of the thoughts that just kind of really uh, sunk into my heart is, you know, not everything is as it first appears. You know that? Not everything is as it first appears. Uh, Jesus came in humility, and while there were some who followed, opposition grew against him, uh, leading to his death on the cross. Now, think about, we, we always look at the cross with hindsight, right? We look at it from the vantage point of, we already know the resurrection took place. But at that point, for those who followed, everything seemed lost. Not everything is as it appears. At that point, they were left in despair and without hope. Not everything is as it first appears. How could they have been so mistaken about Jesus and about the kingdom? How could God have allowed this to happen? What, could a God, what kind of good and loving God would allow Jesus to be crucified on the cross? What kind of kingdom was Jesus proclaiming, and what's, what, what's it all going to come to at this point, right? But on the third day, see, that changes everything, doesn't it? But on the third day, he rose. And the world has been forever changed by him and through him, his teaching and those who would follow. So the kingdom began with Jesus, but it's not yet come in its fullness, right? His body was broken and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could become sons and daughters of the kingdom, living for him, becoming salt and light for the world, being his witnesses, that he might work through us, enabling others to come to know him as well before he comes again in judgment and before it's too late. As you remember, each week we come to this table, we're reminded that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Oh, gracious and loving Father, we certainly live in difficult times in which the wheat and the weeds grow together, in which evil is all too real and all too much part of our reality, in which we can see it all around us. And yet we understand that there's a reason for your delay, and that is because you want to see more come to faith, more that will become sons and daughters of the kingdom. So help us to be faithful in this meantime. Help us to trust that you have your reasons even when we can't fully see them. And help us to be faithful. Lord, give us ears to hear that we might truly walk as sons and daughters of your kingdom and that we might be uh, a part uh, of what you seek to do in this world around us until you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.
One of the other uh, things that Jesus said, it was in the Gospel of John, he says, unless a seed uh, falls in the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit, right? And of course, he's referring to his, his death and his resurrection, right? His death and his resurrection it changed everything. May we come and, and receive the gift of what he's done for us through his death and his resurrection.
can't think of anything more appropriate to end with than even so come would you stand as we sing together even so come lord
Each day we're moving closer and closer to the final harvest, whenever that might be. Perhaps it will be in our lifetimes. Perhaps not. It's not ours to know. But to be faithful living as sons and daughters of the kingdom in a world that desperately needs to know the king. So may you go forth to have a life that shines his light through the strength that he gives you to serve as his sons and his daughters. Amen.